Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Galatians. We're in a, in a series working our way through this book. We're in chapter 1, and we'll be in chapter 1 starting in verse 6. Um, many of you know last week we had a couple missionaries here from India, and a few of us, we took them out to lunch after service, and I asked one of them, other than persecution, what is the greatest threat that the churches are facing in India? Do you know what he said? He said false teaching. Greatest threat. And so then he explained. He said Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, and Seventh-day Adventists are everywhere, and their message is very deceptive. He said each of these belief systems use many words that are also used within Christianity. The problem is they have very different definitions behind these words. For example, here as Christians, we would say we believe in Jesus Christ, who is the eternal Son of God, who died and rose again from the grave, and in him alone are we saved. And they would have a very different understanding of who Christ is and what it means to be saved. But we do not need to simply go to India to hear about false gospels. We can see false gospels anywhere in this world, especially here in the United States. And we don't even need to go to uh, a place of worship where where Mormons or Jehovah Witnesses or Seventh-day Adventists would gather. We can now come into regular gatherings of churches like this that fly under the name of Evangelical, Christian, Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, and they very well may also preach a false gospel. I mean, have you thought about, does that surprise you? You're like, no, am I supposed to say no? It shouldn't surprise us, although I think it does. See, all, all throughout the New Testament, we are warned about false teachers coming into the church and leading people astray. Jesus says uh, in Matthew 24, verse 11, he says this, many false prophets will arise and lead many people astray. And then Paul, when he's saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, this is what he says to them. He says, I know after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted thing to draw away the disciples after them. And then, and then the book that we are in today, this letter, the letter of Galatians, is written in response to false teaching coming into the church and leading believers away from the true gospel of Christ. And so I, I want us to be candid this morning. I just want us to take an honest look at Scripture and say, we cannot be arrogant and think that we will not face false teaching or that we will not be tempted to fall into false teaching. And so as we look at our passage today, I want us to wrestle with, with this question. Am I trusting in anything other than Jesus Christ alone for my salvation. I just want you to think through that as we walk through this passage. Am I trusting in anything other than Jesus Christ alone for my salvation? And if you are, I encourage you, confess and repent. 1 John 1, 9 tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I just ask that we prayerfully consider that as we walk through our passage today. The main point this morning is that we ought to contend for the gospel of grace because it alone has the power to save. And so I want to encourage you, go ahead and stand right now. We're going to read through Galatians chapter 1. 
Starting in verse 6, we're going to make our way all the way through the end of this chapter. Chapter 1, verse 6. Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I'd have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother, and what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Let's pray. Father, Father, we come to you now, and I just ask that God give us wisdom. May your spirit work powerfully through your word, the word that you've inspired. And Lord, I pray that it would give faith today. I pray that it would strengthen our faith today, that we truly would have our roots of faith just deepened into the gospel of grace this morning. And that we would be convinced by the power of your word that there is salvation found nowhere but in grace alone, through Jesus Christ alone. Lord, help us to know that. God, help us to be rooted in this gospel, and may we be on guard against any false gospel that would lead us astray. And God, may we be faithful to your word and faithful to your church. Use us that we would encourage one another to daily follow and obey your word, that none of us would be led astray. Father, in your name, Jesus, amen. You all may be seated. So I want to walk through this passage. We're going to spend most of our time in the first five verses, and then we'll, we'll look through Paul's testimony at the end. But I want to begin by just giving three reasons why we need to contend for the gospel of grace. And so I want to begin just only the gospel of grace saves. Like We need to do that. Only the gospel of grace saves. If you look at verse 6, Paul says, I'm astonished. The word astonished means bewildered. He's amazed at the Galatians. Why? Because they're abandoning God. 
If you notice, it says, you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. The word desert is a, we're not talking about food. It's a military term for when a soldier would, would switch sides and begin fighting for the other side. To abandon the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ is to abandon God. You cannot love God and reject the gospel of grace. You cannot love God and reject the gospel of grace. And so I want to remind us what is happening here. We were starting Galatians about two weeks ago. So let me remind you the problem that's happening. Uh, we have Judaizers, those who are zealous about the Old Testament law, and they've come to the church of Galatia. Now, these guys do not deny Jesus Christ. They're, they're pro-Jesus. They're just simply saying, it's just not Jesus alone. There's something that you need to do also. So we have a chart that we looked at a couple of weeks ago that I want you to see. This is what the, the Judaizers are saying. This is their message. Believe in Christ Obey the law, and you will be justified. You'll be saved. So Jesus plus works equals salvation. But, but Paul says, no, no, believe in Christ, justified, saved, and then you do works because you're saved, because you're a new creation in Christ. Do you see the difference? Paul preaches a message, grace alone, Christ alone, to add anything to the work of Jesus Christ is a different gospel. And notice what Paul says, though, verse 7. There is no other gospel. These other gospel that these Judaizers are preaching is a non-gospel. It's a distortion or perversion of the true gospel, meaning it's fake, it's not real, it cannot save, it has no power to save. So imagine you're in the lake, and hopefully many of you were able to do this while it was still warm. We're past that season now. Just, just admit it, summer's gone. It's gone. You won't see it for 12 more months. At least. But imagine you're at the lake and you're swimming. But you get tired. And, and you know that if something doesn't happen, you're, you're going to start to drown. And so somebody shows up and hands you a life preserver. And this preserver holds you up. It does exactly what it does. It saves you. It keeps you afloat. But then someone else comes up and says, oh, your, your preserver's wrong. It's faulty. I have a better one. It looks the same. We call it the same. Let me take yours and hand you this one. It will do a far better job on saving you. And it's a life preserver filled with concrete. And so they hand that to you. That's exactly what the Judaizers have done at Galatia. They have proclaimed a weak and worthless gospel that cannot save. It's called the same. It looks the same. uses a lot of the same terminology, but it has no ability to save and guaranteed destroy anyone who trusts in it. This is where we, we need to be careful because it's at this moment, I think, as Christians, we get very arrogant. And we go, that's ridiculous. I wouldn't fall into that. I wouldn't do that. I know that gospel is by grace alone, through Christ alone, and scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. No way would I ever fall into a false gospel. But I want you to think, are we trusted? Are we tempted to trust in things other than Jesus Christ alone? 
If you were asked, why would God let you in heaven, what would you say? Now, of course, right now you're all thinking, well, grace alone, Christ alone. That's exactly, it's the only thing I would say. But let me give you just a few possible answers that I think could be found in many churches today. You might give your, your stance against abortion and maybe list some of the things that you've done for the pro-life movement. You might say, well, I'm, I homeschool my kids in order to protect them and make sure they're raised the right way. You might talk about your political position and the very actions that you do. You might talk about how you stand against sex trafficking. You might talk about helping the poor, attending church, serving in the church, reading the Bible, and the list could go forth. Now, don't get me wrong. Those, those are all wonderful things. But if we're not careful, we can begin to trust in those very actions in addition to Jesus Christ. And then we have done the very same thing that the Judaizers are doing in Galatia. And we're beginning to trust in a gospel of works. See, real faith in Jesus Christ will produce works. James says in, in his letter, faith without works is dead, but we are not saved by our works and we can add nothing to our salvation by our works. It's important that we know until Christ returns, false gospels will abound here on earth. We must be alert. We must constantly contend for the gospel of grace alone in Christ alone. Some might say, are we being too reactionary? Is this really that wrong? I mean, they still are talking about Jesus. Sure, they get some details wrong, but, but is it that bad? So with that, let's see what's at stake with the false gospel. So it brings us to our second point. Only the gospel of grace gives eternal life with God. So I want you to see from Paul what's at stake if we trust in this non-gospel or if we trust in this different gospel that he's talking about, Paul very clearly says, if you look at verses eight and nine, if anyone preaches a gospel contrary to the one we preach, he is what? Accursed. He says it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, he is accursed. So it makes us go, well, man, that sounds bad. What does accursed mean? It means devoted to destruction. I think a helpful reminder is, do you remember the city Sodom and Gomorrah in the Old Testament? I give you, even if you're not familiar with the Bible, I think many people have an idea about those cities. I've heard about those cities. Well, Sodom and Gomorrah, they, they were known for their sexual morality, their sinfulness, their idolatry. These cities delighted in rebelling against God. They were a picture of man's unrestrained rebellion. And so what does God do? pours out hellfire upon them and he rains down fire and hell, absolutely destroying and decimating these cities. They were accursed. They're pictures of, of what will happen for anyone who believes in any other gospel than Jesus Christ. And so Paul now says, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary, he's accursed. And thus, if you believe in a false gospel, you'd be accursed. So what's at stake? Heaven and hell, eternal life with God or apart from God. So we're not being paranoid. We're not overreacting. We're saying this is a big deal because we're not saying it's a big deal. 
Paul himself, inspired by the Holy Spirit, saying, guys, we need to know this. This is a huge deal. If we trust in anything other than Jesus Christ alone, we're into a false gospel. And the, and the cost is eternal life. So let me ask you, what would you say if asked, is belief in Jesus the only way we get to heaven? You might say, well, of course it's only Jesus. But is that what we hear in churches? Is that what's said? One person responded this way. We, who practice the Christian tradition, understand him as our vehicle to the divine. But for us to assume that God could not act in other ways is, I think, to put God in an awfully small box. So basically what this person is saying, who professes to be a believer, that there can be salvation found in other ways than Jesus Christ. I certainly would not want to limit God to his word. That would be a bad thing. And then to make matters worse, the person kept speaking. And remember, we've said this before. Sometimes the best thing you can do is what? Not talk. That would be really good here. But the person keeps speaking. And says, our focus needs to be on feeding people who are hungry, on providing primary education to girls and boys, on healing people with AIDS, on addressing tuberculosis and malaria, on sustainable development. That ought to be the primary focus. Just think about that. Works ought to be the primary focus of the church is what they're saying. Now don't get me wrong. Again, works are important. Works are the very evidence that we are saved. We have a ministry up here today highlighting a work of going forth and, and telling others about Christ and serving serving homeless, serving those that they would have their physical needs met. But the primary focus is never to be what we do, but what Christ has done. And do you want to know who this person is? It's the former bishop of the Episcopal Church in the United States. Under the herald, Christian. This is absolutely sickening. According to Paul, she's leading people straight to hell and trying not to offend people. She would have them condemned for all of eternity. This is why Paul says, verse 8, even if he or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the person, contrary to the grace of Christ, that person is accursed. Meaning, don't be distracted by the person in the pulpit by what they look like or how eloquent they are or how successful they look. If anyone comes, even an angel from heaven, and preaches anything different than what's found in this book alone, accursed. Listen, we need to know this, and, and especially military. And, and I say it because I, I know you're going to be leaving here at some point between one and four years from now, and you're going to be looking for a different church. And you cannot simply assume that if I walk into a church that flies under the banner of Christianity, that I am safe from false gospels. Test everything by the word of God. We must know that. There's one path to salvation, and that path is Jesus Christ alone. He says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other road. There's no religious pluralism 
There's not many roads leading to heaven. There's one road. His name is Jesus. So I want us to think then for a moment. So, so why are false gospels so tricky to spot? Like, why are the Galatians falling into this? They had Paul as their pastor. That's pretty good. Like, I think we could all vote. Nick or Paul. I'm for Paul. Like, 100%. I want Paul. And yet the churches that he planted all struggled with believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So why? Why is it the Galatians are, are so easily turning to a different gospel? Why is it that we can so easily begin to add to the gospel of Christ? Well, look at verse 10. So verse 10, Paul says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man... I would not be a servant of Christ. So very likely the Judaizers, they're accusing Paul. See, in order to discredit his gospel, they have to discredit him. And so very likely they're saying something like, Paul's just interested in numbers, guys. Like he's doing everything he can to make it as easy for you to come into the kingdom of heaven. He's removing all works and all law. You don't have to do anything. Just come to the door, get your ticket, get your stamp. You're good to go. You get heaven. Paul is just trying to make it easy. He's all about numbers, getting as many butts in the seat as possible. That's what he's about. Paul says, verse 10, I'm not pleasing man. I could not serve Christ and please man at the same time. Do you get that? We would be very good to learn that, know that, and live that out. You cannot serve Christ and try to please man at the same time. So what does, what does Paul say? It brings us to our next point. Only the gospel of grace glorifies God. You see, Paul is not the one trying to please man. We need to know that. The Judaizers are the ones trying to please man. Anyone who preaches a Jesus plus anything is preaching a man-centered, man-pleasing gospel. So so let me explain. A man-centered gospel, a one that's based upon works, is not offensive. It's not offensive to you or to me. A message of good works minimizes the effects of sin and maximizes the goodness of man. Do you get that? This is what one commentator said. I found this helpful. He said, religions, religions that human beings invent always end up glorifying human beings. There is some law to keep, some teaching to follow, some ritual to perform, some penance to endure, or some state of consciousness to achieve that will bring salvation. One way or another, we can climb up to heaven and we can reach God. Do you get it? It's not offensive at all. You can do it. You, you do you. you. You are enough. All of our cultural statements become true in a false gospel. When I'm saved by good works, Jesus is no longer my savior. He's my example. And to be clear, if he is ever to be our example, he must first and foremost be our savior. He cannot be your example without him being your savior. But... If we're saved by good works, he's not my savior. He is just an example, and he's more like a cheerleader for me, just rooting me on, saying, you can do it. 
A gospel of good works means I must be good. I don't need a savior. I just need a little improvement. I need a little DIY. And I can go onto YouTube and find all the help I need right there. But is that true? I think through that. Like, how would you respond? Someone says, look, I, I, I'm really pretty much a good person. And when, and when they begin looking around, and they say, look, I, when you look at my life and the life of others, you have to admit, I morally am much better than other people, and they very well might be. But what does Scripture say? And so I just want to read a few verses, and I'm just going to kind of walk through them. There's, there's many more. There's hundreds of more that we could have chosen, but I just want to bring forth a few and just let the impact of them just begin to, to resonate and just bring clarity. What does God's word say about the sinfulness of man? So here we go. Romans 3, 23, you know this one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 8, 7 and 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Ephesians 2, 1. You are dead in the trespasses of your sins. John 8, 34. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. John 3, 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So Jesus is the light that comes in the world. So he's literally saying, people love darkness more than Jesus. So they run from Jesus. Romans 5.12, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. We could just go on and on and on and on. According to Scripture, we are dead in our sins and we cannot please God and we do not want to please God. So telling people they must obey God's word, or obey God's word in order to be saved is like telling a blind man, you need to see or a lame man, walk. It's not going to happen. It cannot be done. Jesus did not leave heaven, suffer, and die on a cross because you are good. He died because we are slaves to sin and enemies of God. The gospel of Jesus shows that only by the extravagant grace of God can we be saved from our sinfulness. So I ask you again, just think through the question, am I trusting in anything other than Jesus Christ alone? Am I trusting in anything other than Jesus Christ? I, I want to remind you, I came across this actually earlier today. I was listening to something. It was just, it was really good. And the person said, there's something within the heart of sinful humanity that we want to base our worth on what we do. So I want you to think about how, how we do this, especially as Christians, how we can fall into this. Perhaps you have a week that looks like this. You read the Bible, you attend church, you share the gospel with someone, and so you think, God, God surely loves me. I'm doing really good. God's, God's lucky to have me on his team. And you, you, you say it however you say it, but, but you have really good thoughts about yourself, and you're like, I'm, I'm a good Christian. But... But what if you have a week like this and you, you don't go to church, you fail to read the Bible, you, you fall into lust and to anger and you're tempted then to think, and maybe, maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe, maybe I'm not saved. Maybe he doesn't want me at all. I'm, 
I'm not good enough to be saved. I mean, have, have you ever thought like that? Have those thoughts ever just flashed through your mind, whether quickly or slowly, and you're basing your worth upon your actions versus what Christ has done for you? We do that, don't we? It's built into our sinfulness. We, we intrinsically want to look at our circumstances and, and based upon our feelings, say how or say what we are worth. And yet the beauty of the gospel is that we are saved by grace and not works. Our worth is not dependent upon any action that you and I do, but solely on the basis of Jesus Christ. That's the good news. So are you trusting in anything other than Jesus Christ? If so, I encourage you to repent. Know that God is faithful to forgive you every time we come to him. I want to encourage you, we have to contend for this gospel. And there's things that we do as a church. Uh, we're starting discipleship training classes. That starts in a week or two, October 3rd. We're doing that so that we would, we would understand the gospel more. So we would understand the beauties of the gospel, what Christ has done for us, and how we're saved by grace alone and faith alone and Christ alone. At home, parents, you're the ones who, who teach your children the gospel. Help your children to see that they're sinners. That's not hard, right? But then help them to know that we're saved by grace. Show them grace. Help them to know that it's all by grace. I encourage you, study the word. We're blessed here in America. We have such free access to the Bible. There's like Bibles in every chair in front of you. You probably all have five Bibles at home at least. Study it, memorize it, grow in your understanding of the word and be involved in church. We need other believers regularly praying for us, asking about our spiritual health, encouraging us. But let me ask you this. How do we know Paul's right? The Judaizers have come and said, Paul's wrong. Paul writes a letter and says, I'm not wrong, they're wrong. So who's right? How do we know? How do we know that, the great, that we're saved by grace alone and Christ alone? How do we know that there's no other gospel? How do we know that this gospel of grace has the power to save? Paul, can you offer us any proof? So that's what takes us to verses 11 through 24. And, and there's really at least two things that Paul accomplishes in giving his testimony. Number one, it proves that the gospel he preached is the very same gospel as all the other apostles. That's why he's like, I didn't go see their apostles. When I saw James, I, was, I, didn't, I only saw James for a few minutes. I only saw Peter for a few days. I saw no one. He's saying, I wasn't influenced by anyone else. The gospel that I received was from Christ alone. But secondly, his testimony proves that the gospel of grace alone in Christ alone has the power to save. And that's the one we're going to look at. We're not going to look at the first reason today. We're going to look at the second reason that Paul's testimony proves the power of the gospel to save. And so I just want you to think through this, that Paul's testimony, while the circumstances might be a little different, is no different from your and my testimony. The storyline is the same. Grace alone in Christ alone, okay? So details are gonna be different. The storyline's the same. We're saved by grace alone in Christ alone. So in verses 13 to 14, Paul's gonna talk about his former life. He wants us to know who he was before he came to know Christ. Now, if you don't know much about Paul, he was a thug. 
Like that's, that's the simple, abbreviated, he was a thug. He persecuted the church. In Acts chapter 7, we read that he oversaw and approved the stoning of Stephen. Well, he was one of the first martyrs that we see in the New Testament. He was a deacon of the Jerusalem church. In Acts chapter 3, we read, he was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Paul's goal was to exterminate Christians. Anyone who loved Jesus, he hated. The word destroy in verse 13 is a word that would be used um, when an enemy would come and destroy another city and they would just decimate it. That's what the word is used for. The point Paul is making in these verses is that he hated Christians and he hated Christ. But then, if you skip down to verses 21 and 24, we get this glimpse of his present life. And in these verses, we read that Paul is traveling to different regions and he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the very faith he once tried to destroy so violently, he's now preaching. He used to be the persecutor of churches. Now he's the, the planter of churches. And he says in verse 24, God is being glorified through my preaching of his gospel. So it begs the question, what happened, Paul? Like what, what happened? How did Paul go from attacking and arresting Christians to loving Christians and proclaiming the gospel of grace in Christ alone? How did he go from destroying churches to planting churches? What caused such a radical change? So I encourage you to go read Acts chapter 9 later. That actually gives an account of that conversion story. John Stott. A theologian in the 20th century, this is what he said. He said, now a man in that mental and emotional state, saying, when you know who Paul is and how violent he was against Christians, he says, for a man to be in that mental and emotional state is in no mood to change his mind or even to have it changed for him by men. No conditioned reflex or other psychological device could convert a man in that state. Only God could reach him, and God did. And that's what we read in verses 15 and 16. Like right there, Paul gives this really succinct but beautiful description of salvation. I just want you to know that if you've trusted in Christ, then this is your salvation right here. And notice that Paul, he's going to give all credit to God's grace and nothing to himself. In these verses, he says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. So how does Paul make sure that we understand that his salvation is by grace alone in Christ alone, not by any human effort? What does Paul do? Just think for a moment. What does Paul do? What doctrine of all the doctrines that he can grab from, what does he grab at this moment and say, I want you to see we're saved by God? The doctrine of election. The doctrine of election. You want to know that we're saved by God and not by man? He set me apart before I was born. Doctrine of election is where he goes to. And we don't have time to necessarily unpack that doctrine and walk through it more. 
But oftentimes we kind of cringe when we hear that word. But Paul uses it as a basis for the argument. I need you to know we are not saved by our own works. Just as we have absolutely nothing to do with bringing about our own birth. Think about that. We had nothing to do with that. So we also contribute nothing to our own salvation. Notice the next words. Called him by his grace and pleased to reveal his son to me. The revealing of the son and the calling by grace, that's the same event. Here's the point. You can hate and reject the gospel all you want. But when God calls you by his extravagant grace and reveals to you the beauty of Jesus Christ, your eyes are open, the scales fall from them, and you see Jesus, and you can do nothing but believe and profess him as Lord and Savior. That's what happened to Paul. That's what happens to every single person who trusts in Jesus Christ. We hate Jesus. We reject Jesus. We cannot please him. We want nothing to do with him. God calls us, reveals Jesus to us, and our eyes are open, and we go, I want Jesus. And we go from persecuting the church to planting churches. We go from disdaining God, from running from him, rebelling against him, to now glorifying God. Same story, every Christian. The details of your story and my story and Paul's story might be a little different, but the storyline's the same. By grace alone, in Christ alone. There's one gospel. It's the gospel of grace. This is the gospel that saves us. It's the gospel that transforms us. It's the gospel that turns us inside out and upside down that we would now live lives for the very glory of God. When Paul speaks to the Ephesians, he explains it like this. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works that no man may boast. You see, this is a God-centered gospel that when we believe in Christ, there's no room to go, I think I did some of that. But you just go, praise God. Praise God, I'm saved. Praise God. To God be all the glory. Listen, we're saved by the free gift of Jesus Christ. We're saved by his death, by his resurrection. We all deserve judgment. But out of the rich, riches of God's infinite grace and love, he saves us. In this gospel, there's no room to boast in ourselves, and we only boast in the gospel of grace. We boast in Christ, which is why, remember, Galatians 6.14, Paul ends this letter, but may it never be that I boast except in what? The cross of Jesus Christ. Beginning of the letter, boast in God. End of the letter, boast in Christ alone. Jesus is the one who did everything we need to be saved. If you've not trusted in him today, I urge you, believe in him today. There is nothing you can do to earn your salvation and praise God. Because according to scripture, there's nothing that we could do. It has to be done for us, which is why Christ came. Church, we must contend for this gospel. We have to contend for it. We must be on guard against counterfeits. We have to teach this gospel at home to ourselves, to our spouses, to our children's. We need to remind our children that we're saved by grace daily. We need to remind one another that we're saved by grace and not by works. We cannot add to this salvation. Church, we have to, we have to guard this pulpit. 
If I or anyone preaches a gospel contrary to the grace found in this, then you're, you're required to quickly dismiss us, to quickly do so. And the last thing I just want to encourage you, as, as we go forth, share the gospel boldly. And I want you to think about why we do that. Remember, we, people are not saved because of how eloquent you are, because of how refined your gospel presentation is. People aren't saved because they're good, because they're morally better than others. People are saved by God's grace. And when God reveals to them his son and calls them through the preaching of his word, through the sharing of his word, people are saved. Has nothing to do with your ability to share the gospel. Has nothing to do with their moral, with their morality. Has everything to do with the grace of Christ. So that should, that should encourage us and embolden us that as we go forth, I can share the gospel. It doesn't matter who I'm talking to. God is the one who has the power to save. I just share it. And I know that when God calls a person, they can do nothing but believe in the gospel because it has nothing to do with them and everything to do with the grace of God. So be encouraged as you go forth. Share the gospel. Think about your neighbor. Think about the person you work with. Share the gospel with them, knowing that when God calls them and reveals the Son to them, they can do nothing but believe in Jesus Christ. He alone has the power to save. Let's pray. Our Father, our Father, we praise you this morning. We praise you that you save us by grace alone in Christ alone. And Lord, I pray for myself, for us as a church, you would guard us and keep us in the faith and that, Lord, we would not be tempted or drawn away by any counterfeit gospel. God, give us such sensitive ears to anything that does not align with your word. God, help us to contend for this gospel alone because only the gospel of grace in your son, Jesus Christ, saves. And God, may that move us to praise. May that move us to joy. And that, may that move us to boldness that we would share the gospel with others that they, that they would believe, not because of how we have shared it, not because of who they are and what they have done, but simply because of your grace. God, we praise you that the gospel is by grace. We praise you that in your infinite riches and goodness and your infinite perfections that you have sent your son to save us. All glory goes to you. All worship goes to you. All honor, all honor goes to you. Father, we praise you. Bless us now as we take communion and we remember and we reflect on the manner in which we are saved. In your name, Jesus, amen. The ushers are going to dismiss you uh, row by row that you will come forward.